Welcome to Valley Baptist Church. We've just we've been plugging along through the Gospel of Luke. Um, we are starting it. We are a third of the way through, so we're entering into the second third. And this is sort of a transitional chapter. Most of Jesus's ministry up to this point had been focused in um, the Sea of Galilee region or the Galilee region, and this is where he begins to, to share with them. And prepare the disciples for their journey down um, to Jerusalem through Samaria. Um, it, it's, a, it's a transition. They're about 18 months into their ministry. And, and uh, the disciples have some lessons to learn. So it's, uh, we're really, it's, it's, it's exciting part of Luke in my opinion. Um, and as you're turning to Luke chapter 9 today we have softball. I, uh, I'm pretty much, I think Anna's going to make me be the designated pitcher. Ministry, well Larry and Anna are kind of duking it out over, you know, We'll see. I'm, I'm, my ribs are feeling okay. Ministry will take you to a bunch of strange places. And, and one of the places that, that God has opened up for me to minister is with the SWAT team. And, and so it, they had me playing the bad guy on Tuesday in a house with, with a, basically a, a paintball gun. And, uh, you, you know, you could tell starting out that they were going easy on me because they viewed me as pastor. Well, but then I played my SEAL card and started, you know, making it a little more difficult on them. And uh, I was resisting arrest, and I basically took a knee to the, my, my, low, my back of my rib cage. And so they're not broken, but don't make me laugh, people. It's painful. You know, like I've learned that bruised ribs are pretty bad, and everything I can tell, it's like one month or so, so to, to heal up. But I'm not on Vicodin today. I'm doing good. And then we'll see how softball goes. <clears throat> Um, VBS is coming up very exciting. Our kids, I think, and I'd invite everybody to come out is it looks like, cause like all of our missionaries seem to be like on the same sort of cycle. And so we have a bunch of missionaries back on furlough. So the kids are getting like a, a one of our missionaries each day. So I think our, the children and those who volunteer will have actually grow to know our missionary families, which is exciting to me. Um, but it'll be a blessed time. I'm looking forward to it. I've got the VBS song stuck in my head already because they've been, been going nonstop. They're, they're very catchy tunes this year. Okay, let's pray and we'll dive into Luke chapter 9. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for this body, Lord. We thank you for the work that you're doing in our midst. Lord, as we uh, come to the text, Lord, your holy scriptures, we ask that your spirit would illuminate the meaning of the word. Father, may our hearts be softened. Uh, Lord, may we hear your voice. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through your story here. Uh, Lord, that we would um, grow closer to you, that we would um, walk with you, that we would uh, be able to live, our, live out our lives in a way that is pleasing to you. We love you, Lord. We pray, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 9, verse 1. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, neither a staff, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not even, no, do not even have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. And as for those who do not receive you, as you go out from that city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Departing, they began going throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was happening, 
And he was greatly perplexed because it was said by some that John had arisen from the dead and by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had arisen again. Herod said, I must, I myself had John beheaded, but who is this man about whom I hear such things? And he kept trying to see him. When the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done. Taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. And Father, we do thank you for the story. Lord, we ask for your help now as we go through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is a difficult story. This has been one of those stories that all week and the last few weeks I've been trying to figure out how to present it. Um, the first thing that's difficult for me as a pastor that likes to step, have my toes stepped on and I like God to step on your toes. Like I'm not trying to meddle in your business, but it's always a good thing when it's like God is in your business, like taking, like convicting you and, and helping you along this journey. Well, in this story, it's totally descriptive. It's not prescriptive in nature. There are no, you know, thou shalt not, or, you know, do unto others. It just is a simple story of Jesus beginning to to do a work in their life, kind of sending them out, having them come back, to dialogue over the stuff. Bless you. And as I looked at the story, you really have to take the whole chapter 9 into account. But chapter 9 has a lot of different things in there. And so what I'm feeling like is that I have to go through this section, explain it, and then we're going to kind of shoot out to take some thoughts from the rest of chapter 9, um, to tie him back to gain some principles from what I learned in the story. Um, last, I didn't say it during the last service, but I was, you know, it always makes me nervous. I say, hey, today's going to be a shorter message. Pull it off last service, but I have so much more to say this service because I forgot some stuff. But it should be a little bit shorter. And, and the, the reason is, is because if we're going to dive into the rest of it, you kind of have to look at the rest of the stories individually, even though they're connected to this story. Now, when I came to Jesus, when I became a Christian, when I started going to church, I thought I had a problem that needed fixing. Like I, I felt, you know, I was kind of living life. Um, I was making poor decisions. Um, I was starting to feel like I, I believed that there was a God and, and I was missing the mark in, in kind of trying to connect with him. Through a series of events, I finally ended up going to church because there was free pizza and I had a friend who nagged me to death to go. And as I started to go to church, when I went to church, I would go on Tuesday nights because that's when the free pizza was with the intention of getting my belly fed, like getting some food. It was free. Hearing something that would encourage me and kind of help me along this journey. Um, I didn't think that I was enlisting in any sort of like, you know, operation. I, it was solely to go to get patched up and then to go on with my life. Well, the more I study and the more I see the Christian life, it's not about just coming and getting yourself patched up. Um, it really is that God is doing a work in your life and then he's sending you out. And in today's story, he's beginning to send them out on their journey. And it's, it's really fascinating how God prepares them. So let's dive into the story here. Verse 1, it says, And he called the twelve together, and he gave them power and authority over all the demons to heal diseases. So he gets to 12. Hey, guys, come on. Let's pull it together here. Uh, we're going to do something different. I'm going to give you some, um, some power. Um, I'm going to equip you to go out to do the work that I'm uh, calling you to do. 
It's different. Like today, we have Acts 1-8 that says, right before Jesus left the earth, he said, um, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the, the remotest part of the earth. And so for us as Christians, when we go out and serve, it's not on our own strength, our own gifts, our own skills and talents. It's that which God gives to us through the, the Spirit, which enables us to do his work. And he says, here you go, I'm going to give you power. You have authority over the demons and to heal diseases. And I wish I could have been there to kind of see these guys rallied up, go, okay, we've seen you do this before, but we've just kind of been on the sideline watching you. Like Jesus at this point had raised people from the dead. He had healed people. He's done stuff. But the apostles are kind of just tagging along going, this is fascinating. We're in his club and he's our leader. And now he's saying, now you're going to go out. In verse two, he continues and he said, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. Now I have this verse, this phrase, kingdom of God marked in red. Through chapter 9, the kingdom of God, this, this statement becomes very prominent. All the way up in Luke so far, the first third of the book, this phrase is only used five times. Um, it's, it's used um, in chapter 4 when Jesus is proclaiming, he says that he must teach about the kingdom of, the, of God. Later, when he's talking about John the Baptist, he just simply says something along the lines of, of all men born of women... John the Baptist is greatest in the kingdom of God. So he just is a placement thing. In the Beatitudes, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Um, And there's a couple other places it's used, but it's not really said too much about. Like, I don't know if they, like, they're just sent out like, hey, you're supposed to teach about it. In Luke chapter 9, this kingdom of God phrase is used five times. So for all that's been used... It's five times in chapter 9. It's only used that many times in chapter 18. And the rest of the Luke, it's like the kingdom of God used like, like, in one, like maybe like once per chapter. And so he's saying, you're going to go proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. So they were given these gifts. It's the apostolic age. They're going out. God's equipped them to do their healing people. We're going to see that they made some mistakes. They couldn't do it all. But he, he gave them power to do stuff. And they're proclaiming the kingdom of God as they go out. Um, some, some guy, in reading and studying for this, one guy was quoted, William Booth. He, the founder of the Salvation Army. And not denying that, that miracle, like miracles of their personal well-being was taken care of, their needs were being met so that they could hear. William Booth had a saying that there's no point in teaching the gospel or sharing the gospel when it's below 37 degrees because people just can't take you. So if it gets to 37 degrees, you better light a fire in the room so that the people will warm up and that their physical needs are met. And so there's part of this. So that's why we try to keep it just at 38 degrees in here. Cause I, you know, I get real warm blooded. And, uh, and so, so here he sends them out there proclaiming the kingdom of God, which who, I'm kind of curious of what that meant to them at this time. We don't really know. We know that they made some mistakes, um, and then they're healing people as they go along. And then Jesus in verses three through five, he gives them very specific instructions. He said to them, take nothing for your journey. And as he said this, I can already hear them kind of going, well, what does nothing mean? Does that, can I take my wallet with me? Can I take like a, you know, a, cha- a change of shirt, maybe a toothbrush, uh, just little items. See if I, once a month, Ann and I, we go up to her grandpa's house up in, uh, outside of San Luis Obispo. Like, I pretty much can do it. Like, I pretty much wear the clothes I have. I have a set of work clothes and then a clean T-shirt and a pair of shorts for the ride home that are clean. 
And that, that's pretty much taken nothing, especially if I was going to take this to like Europe or something for three weeks. That would be considered nothing. And so I can see these guys kind of scrolling through their head, go, okay, take nothing. But what does that exactly mean? And then Jesus says, okay, no staff, don't, neither a staff nor a bag nor bread nor money, and do not even have two tunics apiece. He's saying, travel light, boys. Don't take any trail mix for the road. Don't take any money. Don't take a walking stick that can keep the animals off you. I want you totally trusting upon me for this journey. This is a lesson to you. See, he changed his story in the Luke, and we'll get there eventually. Mark Nichols last week making fun of me, like eventually we'll get there. But in Luke chapter 22, verse 35, as, as Jesus is going to be crucified, he said to me, he said, hey, guys, you remember that time when I sent you out with nothing? And they said, oh, yeah, we remember that. He's like, now it's different. Now if you, don't even have a ja- if you don't have a sword, sell your jacket, get a sword, get some supplies, get some provisions. This is different now. And so this is sort of a, a, a lesson. Um, they, Jesus has some objectives to teach them in this sending out. He, he continues in verse 4. He says, whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. So he says, okay, when you go into town, you'll find somebody who will take you into their house. As you travel, as you get situated, even today, like getting a motel, if you are going to an unfamiliar city, you check into a hotel. I normally take the cheapest, the cheapest kind of within a certain realm of things. You kind of read the reviews and I mean, I, there's cheap, cheap, and then there's like cheap, kind of safe, cheap. And then, and so you kind of like figure things out. But then if you're going to go to a city for like a month, you might get your initial hotel and it's like, okay, I've kind of got situated, but look at this place has free Wi-Fi and their buffet is really good. So I'm going to kind of transfer hotels and kind of get situated. Jesus says, you just go the first place it takes you and you stay there and don't leave that place. If some guy with a big old house and a swimming pool and jacuzzi offers you a, a granny flat, no, you stay. You know, it's like, trust upon me to stay in your place. Don't be thinking about your accommodations. Focus on the work that I've called you to. And then verse five, he goes on to say, and for those who do not receive you, as you go out from that city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So he says, okay, if you go into a city and people kind of reject you and they don't want you, when you leave the city, shake off the dust of your feet and move on. For us, like I really don't even remember the last time I dusted the, the, the dust off of my feet. Do you guys do this when you leave a city? I, I don't really get it. But to the Jewish people, this would make total sense. When they were entering back into Jewish land or Jewish territory, if they'd been out with the Gentiles, they basically had to decontaminate themselves before entering in because to have Gentile soil on them, that was, that was contamination and you could like ruin all of the purity that was set up in there. It's like when you leave the country and you fly back in and you go through customs, they ask you a number of questions. Do you have any gazelle with you? Do you have any tomatoes with you? What sort of fruit do you have? Like, and they, they're going to take all of this stuff away because they don't want it to, to ruin the sort of, they don't want diseases and things spreading. So it was that sort of concept. He said, well, if they don't re- receive you, walk away, shake the dust off, move on to the next town. Don't let it weigh you down. And then verse 6, we just see that they departed. Departing, they began going throughout all of the villages. And so in this, I'm reminded of a couple things. First, as a Navy SEAL instructor, I really enjoyed, in first phase, we had eight weeks. I really enjoyed the second part of that phase. Because once they got through Hell Week, 
we started treating them like students. It was less about trying to get guys to wash out. And we would say, okay, guys, this is your mission. This is the objective. You guys plan it all on your own. We're just going to sit back. We're going to just see how you guys figure it out. Here's some cami paint. Here's some fake weapons. You guys do all the planning. You got to execute it before sunrise tomorrow. We'll be following along, taking our notes. We'll let you guys debrief. And then after you're all debriefed, then we'll give you our input. And the first time that these guys are so excited, they're like, oh, we're practically Navy SEALs. We get to like go do whatever it is. And then they roll in from their briefing now that they have cami paint and they look like, you know, like the, I don't want to offend anybody, but like the 13 year old girl that gets makeup for her first time, you know, like their cami paints all like, and it's like, you're looking at it going, you, you think that's how you apply cami paint? Well, keep my mouth shut, you know, like, well, just kind of, that's not exactly, you're supposed to not stand out versus like standing out and, and they go through their whole thing. They go out and they come back and they, they brief. And then at the end of their briefing, we're like, well, we're glad that you guys are really excited about this. But let, let, let me share with you some things that you guys kind of got wrong and you might want to work on. But because they had the opportunity to go out on their own and kind of make their mistakes and they were under our kind of guidance, they learned so much better that way. And Jesus is sort of sending the guys out in the rest of chapter nine there. We'll see that they made some some mistakes. There was the learning curve was steep. And then when they come back, Jesus starts upping the ante, so to speak, on their understanding of what the kingdom of God is and what life in the kingdom is about. Because, they, see, they've gone out kind of like, oh, we've got to teach on it. Now we've got, we may, like, I don't really know. People ask some tough questions. I don't know about you, but I learn by doing. Like Rick, like I love Rick, but whenever there's like a computer question, like dealing with the church, like projecting stuff, like, he really wants to get in there and just do it for you. I have a question. He's like, oh, I'll come in there. No, you're doing all wrong. Give me the mouse. I'm like, no, stay away from the mouse. Rick, I got the mouse. Let me figure it out. <laughs> stay right here. When I have a question for you, let me, make my, let me reach my dead end, and then I'll ask you the question. Because if you just do it, I won't learn it. And so Jesus is sending them out. And I just, this picture of them, Mark tells us that he sent them out two by two. So you have six groups of two guys, all different personality types in this group. As they departed, they began going out through the villages. I see two types of two type. I see two types of people. No, it's two types of people. <laughs> two types of people. There's like the one group. Maybe they're a little bit like, man, Jesus does all the teaching about the kingdom. Like, well, who are we? Like, what do I know about the kingdom? I didn't make it into all the theological training. I'm just a fisherman. Like, I'm supposed to teach about the kingdom. It reminded me of Bible college. One of the worst classes I took was evangelism class. Why? I like, dude, like, I'm not a salesman. And I view, like, I, my understanding used to be that evangelism was about pitch, a sales pitch. And so we show up in class, and I'm kind of like, okay, this should be easy. We'll read a couple books. We'll just dialogue about it. I'll make a bunch of stuff up about how, what a great evangelist I am, and yada, yada, yada. We'll just, like, we'll talk about it. We show up in class six weeks before Christmas, and the teacher says, guys, put your books down. You don't read about evangelism. You do evangelism. Tell you what we're going to do. Every day for the next six weeks, every class day, we're going down to Parkway Plaza. And, man, I must have, like, I wish I could have got a picture of my face at that moment. I don't like the mall, period. But then you put, like, the Christmas aspect 
And then we're supposed to witness to like share our faith with people. And so we, he's like, okay, guys, pack up your stuff. We're going down there. We'll come back and we'll debrief it. And he's, he's like a 70 year old man, bald, wearing a, like a suit that was like disheveled. So it's like all like hanging out of the back and he had a stroke. And so, but he'd forgotten more than I'd ever known about languages. And I'm like, man, this guy's going to Parkway Plaza. And so we go to Parkway Plaza and I start doing laps around the mall. I mean, just a bunch of laps. I'm like, who's my target? I'm like, I'll just keep doing laps. I must've done about 20 laps and there was no candidate for me to talk to. But every lap, I see other people from the class, like talking with people. I get to the food court and here's the teacher, like in a suit, hanging out all over the back, laughing, joking. He's got like 30 kids cracking up, touching their spiked hair. And I'm like, now my competitive spirit kicks in. I'm like, man, I'm like running out of time. I haven't talked to anybody. I got to look for an easy target. And so then there was a, a lady selling like quilts or something like at the, at one of those little like kiosk things. I'm like, she looks sweet and kind and she won't like hurt me. And I walk up to her and I'm like, how are you doing? She's like, I'm doing good. How are you doing? Would you like to look at my quilts? I'm like, no, I'd, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. And she got so mean. She's like, can't you see that sign? There's no soliciting in here and yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, I'm not soliciting. I'm just sharing. She's like, you're soliciting. I'm calling security. I'm like, I'm so out of here. I ran out. Failed attempt. And then we like talked about it. So I think that there's some people in this group that are like just mortified of like, what am I doing? I'm like, what? Like I came to Jesus. I'm following him. Now he's sending us out. But then there's the other group who I imagine the group that I could have been in, just not when it comes to this sort of setting is like the 14 to 24 year old young male who doesn't know what he doesn't know. And he thinks he knows everything about everything. Oh, you teach about the kingdom. I got power now. I'm good to go. He's going to go out there and he's going to rock, turn this world upside down, sharing about his faith. And I just see Jesus going, oh man, these guys, like I'll wait to debrief him when I get back. And he sends them out. And back to verse six, this is always, they departed. They, they went out throughout the villages. Now notice it says they were preaching the gospel which they were told to proclaim the kingdom of God. And I'm like, and I don't know what's here. If you ask me, what's the gospel? I would say it's easy. Go to first Corinthians chapter 15 verses three and four. It says that Jesus came. He lived the perfect life. He died on the cross according to scriptures for the payment of my sins, for your sins. He died. He was buried on the third day. He rose. He appeared to all of these people. And if at the time of writing, you could go talk to these people, like that's the gospel, according to a Christian. But see, none of this stuff had happened. And we'll see in this chapter, it's just in this chapter when they get back, Jesus is going to start explaining to them, listen, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to have to give my life to their hands. They're going to kill me. And they're like, no way, Lord. And so I don't know if they're going around. Hey, man, the Messiah is here. He's getting ready to take over. I have no idea. But I'm pretty sure that what they were proclaiming was a little bit off from what Jesus wanted them to hear. But they were making a splash and things were happening and people were being healed and the word was getting out. And so in verses 7 through 9, we see how this word is it's spreading, the impact it was having. We hear about Herod, the Tetrarch, the um, heard of all that was happening and he was greatly perplexed. I love Herod. Herod is one of these characters in the Bible that cracks me up. 
See, John the Baptist is there. John the Baptist's ministry. John is dead at this point, thanks to Herod. He's in the River Jordan. People are walking by. He's basically screaming at them, confronting them, challenging them with very specific sins, having people walk down to him, confess their sins publicly, and he's baptizing them for the remission of sins. Herod walks by, who is a ruthless guy, walks by and John the Baptist starts challenging him about the relationship he's in. He's in a relationship with his half-sister, who's his brother's wife, and he is not holding back. And the Bible tells us that Herod was, like, intrigued by this. He, he liked kind of hearing what John the Baptist had to say. And so now Herod is, like, the disciples are going out, or the apostles are going out there proclaiming the kingdom of God. People are being healed. Jesus is moving and shaking the, the, the Galilean region. And he's perplexed. He's like, well, who is this guy he's ultimately going to ask? Because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead. They thought, oh, John the Baptist came back to life after you cut his head off. And the only reason he cut his head off is because he was tricked by his wife's daughter. who had, He made a promise that he shouldn't have made. Because it was said that John risen from the dead, verse 8, by some that Elijah had appeared. So the prophet Elijah miraculously came back and was responsible for all the stuff that was happening. And by others that one of the prophets of old had risen again. And so Jesus has his guys going out. The word spreading. He doesn't know what's happening, but something's happening. And then Herod said, which is kind of a theme of chapter 9, and I'll show you at the end. He said, I myself had John beheaded. But who is this man about whom I hear such things? Like, who is this Jesus? And this is the question that Luke is trying to answer to Theophilus, showing us who Jesus is. And he kept trying to see him. So he's perplexed about it. He hears about it. He's trying to get in to see Jesus, and he can't. And he's a tetrarch. He should be able to have access, but he's desperately trying to see who Jesus is. And then we come to verse 10. And we simply read, When the apostles returned, they gave an account to all, to him, of all they had done. Taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. Doesn't say, it's like, oh, Jesus, we were out, man. They were like people that were sick and we cured them and we were proclaiming the gospel and lives were being changed and all kind of, we don't know. If you just read these 10 verses, you assume that it was good stuff or I did. And I don't like, but when you look at the whole chapter, we start seeing, oh man, they were learning big time. There were some stuff that they didn't quite figure out. And we're pretty much in the conclusion. See, like, we're, like, right at the end. So this is, like, man, we're, like, I'm, like, 40 minutes ahead of schedule. So I'm not going to try to linger it out. But what, when I look at this story, like, where did, what did they learn about? I think they learned about two things. Like, they were learning who Jesus is and what's the deal with the kingdom. And so as they're going out, they're proclaiming the kingdom. I imagine when they're telling people, People will say, what do you mean about the kingdom of God? Their first response is, well, Jesus. Well, what about Jesus? Well, he's the Messiah. Well, what do you mean he's the Messiah? And it's like, uh, well, there's nothing greater to me when I see, when I get these emails or these questions from people saying, you know what? I was trying to tell my like sister about the gospel. She's not a believer. And she asked me this question and I'm totally stumped. Where in the Bible can you help me? It's like, oh yeah, that's, that's like, totally cool i can really help you with that or other people as they're like feel like god's like launching them out and then they get stuck like one one young lady in our church is like just blowing me away deborah ong 
like she just is like first it was like she wanted to raise a hundred bucks for 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 Japan to help with the disaster relief. And I kind of upped the ante with her and we raised fifteen hundred dollars. Then about two weeks ago I get this email from her, like short email. Hey Pastor Gunner, does um does Alternatives Women's Center need a need an ultrasound machine? I <laughs> kind of like that's a weird email. So I yeah, I'm on the board of directors. I'm like, I think so. I, I, I've, I, I'd have to like, what do you like? What, like, what, what exactly do you like? Did you find one at a rummage sale or something? Like, what, like, what, like, I don't know. It's kind of like a medical clinic, and and she responds back and says, No, I just figured if they need one, I want to start like do a rummage sale and raise the money to buy one. And I was like, Oh, I'm like, Well, you're you're thinking big. I like it, <laughs> but I Google. You know, I'm like, I don't, I, I Google like ultrasound machine. I'm like, you're like the cheapest one I could find is like $30,000. But I don't want to discourage you. But your cami paint, you know, like, I don't know. Like it's, and she's like, well, if they need money, then I want to like do like a rummage sale. I want to raise money. And then I want to present them with them. And I'm like, I'm not going to stifle you. Let's, let's let it, like, let's see what God teaches you through it. And so they come back and they're sharing with Jesus all that he'd done. And it's encouraging to me because they didn't get it all. Like they didn't understand. And Jesus is still like grooming them and, and training them. And I think I look at like with my daughters now. Like I love, like we, we don't want to like totally keep our kids from the world, but we want to groom them and like kind of give them training wheels so they're exposed to things. And then they come back and they ask questions because one day my daughters are going to launch. And right now I kind of have them and I'm kind of have this, this is perfect sort of environment for teaching and training so that when they launch out to college, when they're all kind of on their own and like that they're ready for that. And Jesus is doing this. He knows he's about 18 months from his departure. And so from this story, dealing with who Jesus is, first we see that Herod, who is this guy, Jesus? From this story, they're going to get back. The crowd's going to follow them. Jesus can say, we got to get these guys some food. And they're like, are you kidding me? Like, we, gotta, we don't have any. We're going to go buy them food? Where are we going to get the money to buy food for 5,000 men? Which means there's like 10,000 people there. They have, you know, two fish and five loaves of bread. Break them into groups of 50. It has all of the apostles go out with the bread. And the miracle happens of the feeding of them. After this is all done, Jesus pulls them aside in verse 18 of chapter 9. And he says, now, who do the people say that I am? And these guys start going, well, man, when we, were out in the, when we were out in the villages, when we were out sharing about you, like, man, some people thought you were John the Baptist who's come back from the dead. Some are saying Elijah. Some are just like, maybe you're some prophet. And then Jesus looks at him in verse 20 of them and says, but who do you guys say that I am? And Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. Peter says, you're the Messiah. From this story, there's a, there's, there's a, it's not as simple, but event, they're going to get to the transfiguration. And when he responds that you're the Christ of God, he says, in this group, there are some of you that will see the kingdom of God before your death. He takes Peter, James, and John, pulls them aside. They start falling asleep again, and the transfiguration happens. Jesus' like deity like comes out from within him, glowing. And it's fascinating because this word is only used three times in the whole Bible. Romans 12, 2. But I urge you by the Romans 12, 1, but I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. 
that you wouldn't be conformed to this world, but you'd be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That transformed is transfiguration. So that we in Christ are new creatures, and as we grow in the word, we're allowing God's design to come out of us. And in the midst of this transfiguration, Peter opens in his mouth and inserts foot. It says that he didn't even know what he was talking about. He's like, we got to build tabernacles. Jesus, we'll, I'll, I'll get a tabernacle for Elijah. I'll get one for you, and I'll get one for Moses. This is great. And as he's speaking, God's voice comes out of heaven. In verse 35, it's saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. So it's like Peter gets it, then God kind of affirms it to him. And yet he would still deny Jesus. Like, I love this. Like, these guys are not perfect. We are not. Nobody in this room is perfect or even close to it. And yet God still uses us to, to be his ambassadors. It's awesome. Now, the other thing, looking at the kingdom of God. So they're out preaching. In verse 11 of chapter 9, as the crowds come, he pulls them aside right before the whole feeding Jesus begins teaching them about the kingdom of God. See, now they've already kind of been, in my mind, they've already been sort of stumped. They've been challenged on the kingdom of God. So do you think they have their notepads out this time? It's like, oh, he's teaching about the kingdom of God again. And they're starting to get it. I turn my page, I get down to verse 27. There, he's challenging them about the kingdom of God, starting in verse 23. Like, we're going to really, like, Luke is going to really up the ante on us as Christians for following after Jesus. And verse 27, we read, I, I say to you truthfully, there are some standing here who will not taste death to the kingdom of God. I think this is referring to the transfiguration. That Peter, James, and John are going to see kind of heaven split open, and they're going to see Elijah and Jesus in his splendor and Moses. And then... Going down um, towards the end of the chapter, at the end of verse uh, 59, we'll start. And he said to another, follow me. But this guy says, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And then another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me say goodbye to those at home. And Jesus said, but no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. This fascinating, this phrase, I think I already shared it or maybe I didn't. I, five times in this chapter. The only other chapter that gets it five times is chapter 18. Up to this point in Luke, the phrase kingdom of God's only been used five times total. And so Jesus is beginning to like teach them more about the kingdom, that their understanding will be transformed. And in the midst of this teaching about the kingdom, there's little stories that come up about their like shortcomings. Like to think, man, these guys were sent out to teach about the kingdom of God. Check out verse 40. So as they're going out, a guy comes, his son is demon possessed. It has got all kinds of problems. I don't know if they'd reported back to Jesus. Oh man, we were like healing all these people. It was just awesome. Then all of a sudden, this dude shows up to Jesus and says, I begged your disciples to cast it out, and they could not. Like, ooh. Yeah, we kind of forgot about that one. Like, like this is like, we, yeah, he was a hard case. We tried. It didn't work out. And so then Jesus begins to explain. Then in verse 46, a little bit down from that, see, from that, Jesus begins to teach about the kingdom. And so they have their minds on the kingdom. And so in verse 46, here are the disciples or the apostles. They start arguing with each other. An argument started amongst them as to which of them might be the greatest. Speaking of the kingdom. 
But yeah, I'm going to be number one dog up in heaven. No, man, you remember, you blew it. I'm going to be number one. And Jesus then hears this and starts teaching. Like he pulls the kid up onto his lap. And he says, no, this, the least of these, this is the number one in the kingdom of God. And then verse 49, John, the apostle of love, he says this. Right after he says, the one who's least is great, John answered and said, Master, we saw, one, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. Like when we were out on our journey, we saw somebody casting out demons in your name. And we tried to prevent him because he doesn't follow along with us. He's not in our gang, so we tried to stop him. And Jesus is like, oh, guys, you're missing it. He corrects him about the kingdom. And then after he kind of corrects him, he says, okay, we're going to start traveling south. We got to go through Samaria. I need you to go into the Samaritan village, line up the motel for us, line up a place to stay. They go there. They're rejected. They say, you guys are Jewish. You're going to have to go around. And then when they come back in verse 54, when Jesus's disciples, James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? We tried to go through Samaria. You know what? And those jerks wouldn't let us stay there because we're Jewish. Like, do you remember the whole like dust, shake the dust off your feet and just kind of move on? L- Lord, we, re- we read about Sodom and Gomorrah, how like fire came out of heaven, turned the whole place into glass. You gave us power. Do you want us to pull the trigger on this prayer or shall we hold off? I mean, this is the apostle of love. He wants these guys to get smoked. (laughs) And Jesus says in verse 56, the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Like there's this total collapse, like, like as they are growing, like they given a little bit of authority, they get a little bit of confidence and it really exposes what they know or what they don't know. And Jesus is using this to teach them. And it's encouraging to me. Like, how great is that? That God isn't calling us to to be perfect. He's calling us to follow after him. And I want us to turn, like, this is literally the conclusion. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is the Great Commission. This is sort of the mission statement of the church. Like, why does Valley Baptist Church exist? And here we see the Great Commission... And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. So this is following his death, burial, resurrection. He's lived the earth for four, on the earth for 40 days, appeared to all kinds of people. He's about to ascend into heaven. And he looks at those that are there and he says, listen, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Like I have all authority over all. And he says to them, go, therefore, and make disciples. That's the verb, to make disciples of all nations, to make people who follow after me, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is with us. It's a little pet peeve. You know, it's it's taken out of context from earlier Matthew. Where there's two or three gathered and we pray Jesus is with us. No, no, no. If you're all alone and you pray, Jesus is right there with you. Like that's talking about disciplining of the church. Like there's like issues when you're not sure and there's two or three of you gathered. Jesus says, no, I'm with you if you're having to do something. He said, I'm with you to the end of the age. All authority has been given to me, the, everything. And I'm with you. Go make disciples, people that give their lives to me. 
And it's radical, this making disciples. The last time I went to, well, the last time I went to the doctor, it was actually this week. I was not thinking that, and I'm laughing, and not laughing's bad. Like, literally, I thought my ribs were broken. I got an appointment. I went to the doctor, and then this doctor, it was, it was hilarious. It's like, what happened? Well, I'm a pastor. Okay, well, what happened? Well, I'm a pastor that's a chaplain. And I was like, this, how do I tell the story? I was like, I was... I was fighting against the SWAT team and I got kicked in the back and I think I broke my ribs. And she's looking at me like, I'm like, I'm a pastor. Oh, but I was a Navy SEAL for 12 years. So I was like giving them training. And she's like, well, let me pull up your shirt and like, let me see where the ribs are. So she's feeling her ribs. She's like, oh yeah, I can see some bruising. And she touched, but where she touched, I'm like, oh no, that's not where he kicked me. That's where they shot me a bunch of times. And she's like, She's like, well, how about I just prescribe you some Vicodin and you get down to La Jolla and get some x-rays? And I was like, and you go and you get bandaged up. But when I go to the doctor, like when I went and saw her and I got patched up, I got all my supplies. She didn't say, okay, and here's a first aid kit. I want you to go and start patching up other people. Like they don't do it. You don't just get out of heart surgery and then they send you home with, okay, here's your scalpel and here's your medical supplies. Will you go give a couple heart transplants to a couple different other people? Like that's not how we think. But God says, no, come to me. I'm going to heal you. And now I want you to go out and, and, and be a light for me. This is radical. It's kind of scary. And as you start sensing, like, okay, God, like maybe you're using me. And I just want to kind of, just for clarity's sake, if you would turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. So Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it's like a very well-known verse. Like a lot of people know this one. It says, um, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So clearly our relationship with God isn't about us doing good works. We're saved by faith. Jesus died on the cross. There's nothing we can do to earn it. By faith alone, he saved us. But then verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And each of us, if we trust in Christ, or each of us, even if you're rejecting Christ, God has still created you to serve him. And he's first getting you to the place where you trust in Jesus, and then you would walk obediently with him. And this isn't, like, this is a radical thought. Like, especially for me, like, I thought I was going to church because I needed help in my life. And I, like, I... I don't like go to the doctor when I'm sick and say, okay, you've patched me up. Now, can you send me home with like some, um, some athletic tape and some gauze and I'm going to start patching up other people. Like, that's not how we think you're, you're sick. You go to the doctor, but the church is like, no, you're going to get well. And now we're sending you out with gauze and tape and you're out to be used that God. And I don't know what that is. And it doesn't necessarily mean be a missionary in Mongolia. Like you all, if you live in Valley center, you're a missionary right here that God's using you. And, and don't feel like, like me, like, oh, how am I supposed to teach about the kingdom of God? I've never been there. Like these guys were sent out to teach about the kingdom. They've never been there. Well, we just like them, if you'll turn just one book towards the back of the Bible at Philippians chapter three, this is kind of what we're going to end with. And we're told in Philippians chapter three for our citizenship is in heaven. How many of you have been to heaven? We've heard about it, read a little about, I mean, we've read very little about it, but we're told that our citizenship is in heaven. Now, most of us in this room, I think, are like, 
where we might be dual citizenship. Like last week, we had a guy that's Australian and American. Like I am an American citizen. I grew up here. I know America pretty well. And so when I go to like other places, like I feel like I can understand the culture of America pretty well. But when I read this passage, like there's like the whole third culture kids. When the Mannings were in town, like and we got them right out of the airplane. I mean, like not right out of the airplane, but pretty close. Like their two youngest kids who are American citizens had never stepped foot on U.S. soil. And watching them in Henry's was the most hilarious thing because the whole concept of a water fountain, they'd never, ever imagined that like you could just press a button and water could shoot out. And so we turned like the Henry's and Escondido into like a water park with these like two little kids going, oh, man, this is like really bad. But they're like, oh, wow, check out American culture. That's how it's going to be for us when we get to heaven. We're told, like, listen, our citizenship is in heaven. We've never been there, but we're ambassadors here on earth representing heaven. But none of us have been there. And that's why we need to be in the word, because this is where we learn about it. He says, from which also we eagerly await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform. This is the only other place, the transfiguration, the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. By the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Sounds like the Great Commission that all authority has been granted to him. We're awaiting him. Our citizenship's in heaven. But we're on this earth and going, man, there's like a big, big divide between heaven and earth, what we're experiencing. And it can be discouraging. Like just like having bruised ribs. Like I'm not going to have bruised ribs in heaven. But I'm probably also not going to have, there's not going to be a SWAT team in heaven because there's no more sin. So there's not going to be any need of protection. So that kind of fun goes out the door. In verse verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, Therefore, my beloved, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. And so this this, this is the Christian life. Once we accept Christ as our Savior, we receive the Spirit of God, we're placed into the body of Christ, we get... Um, a passport to heaven and now we're citizenship citizens in heaven and we're supposed to be sharing about the things of god even though we've never been there but we know him and we study the word and we go out and we're a light to the world and people are going to ask us questions that we don't have the answer to and it's going to force you to pay better attention in church and to get into the word so that you can grow in these areas and i love it that god uses us in this way and so that's it my encouragement to us this week. Now, I'm not going to take anybody to Parkway Plaza this week. <laughs> but all of you should have friends that aren't Christians. All of you should. And I don't know what it looks like, but the least you can do is be praying, Lord, like, like if you help me to like maybe sprinkle in something. Like, is there something I can do to like, get a spiritual conversation or to drop a seed or something. And it's amazing what God will do through that. As you say, Lord, here I am. I'm willing to be used by you. And it's a scary thing because he actually will use you. And I guarantee you, he's already given you opportunities. I stopped praying, Lord, give me the opportunity because he gives us. My prayer is always, Lord, help me to actually respond to the opportunities that you give because nine times out of ten it's that i just don't have the courage to respond even though he's saying do it and so father we come before you we thank you for this day lord i thank you
for the disciples and, and Lord, the, um, the encouragement that they give uh, to me, Lord, to see that they weren't perfect, to see that they really did make some, some foolish mistakes from my perspective. But it gives me hope, Lord, that what you want to see is us stepping out, Lord, and walking with you. And, and Father, I pray that as we live our lives, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to draw closer to you, that we would get a better understanding of who you are um, so that we would, um, that we ourselves would change and become more like you. We long for that day, Lord, when you transform these earthly bodies into glorious bodies, Lord, uh, free of sin and stain and pain and hurt and anguish, Lord. But until then, Father, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to take advantage of the opportunities, Lord, here on earth to share about you. Lord, our friends, our family, um, those who are opposed to you, Lord, they can be terrifying to us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us um, salt, Lord, that we would be able to uh, sprinkle our conversations with things of you, Lord. Help us to, um, Lord, just teach us, Lord. Help us um, to be the people that you want us to be. We love you, Lord, and we praise you, and we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen.